0: welcome to vibe talk awaken i'm your host vibe queen on the show we will get to know artists entrepreneurs and coaches living life and their truth after experiencing an awakening we'll talk about their journey wisdom and any tools they've learned along their path thank you so much for being here Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Vibe Talk Awaken. I'm your host, Vibe Queen, and this week I'm very excited to have a friend of mine on the show. Before we get into our conversation, I'm just going to introduce him very quickly. From being a Buddhist monk to now working as a wildlife firefighter, Ricardo is a meditation teacher that understands the lifestyle of regular individuals. Ricardo has studied under various teachers and participated in many retreats to obtain an understanding to the nature of mind and happiness currently ricardo teaches meditation and lectures at a variety of holistic centers schools and studios and during summers ricardo works as a wildland firefighter for the united states uh, forest service so welcome ricardo i'm really excited thank to you. have you on the show <laughs> thank you how I are you appreciate feeling it.
1: i'm feeling pretty good i'm pretty content <laughs> pretty <Awesome>. happy <laughs>
0: Good. Likewise. I can feel the energy. So that's very good. I always like to start the show off with guests sharing their awakening journey and story. And I know when I spent some time in California, you've always just have a very Zen and positive vibe to you. So I would love to hear what brought you to that state of being and if you've always been awakened.
1: No, I've not always been. In our inherent nature, sure. What started everything, I would say, was when I was 12. I actually attempted suicide when I was 12 and there's several reasons why why, trauma anger all that good stuff but it's cultivated into me wanting to do suicide and so I remember it thoroughly I was in my room and I had the rope and I started to wrap it around and I told I just told myself why God why Jesus and I really Just that was like the last words I was going to say before I go. And in a flash, I saw this orb right in front of me. It's, it was like a ball of of light as the sun right in front of you. And I just, I just surrendered to it and it was just full of love and, and happiness. And I couldn't do anything at that point. I was stunned. And I remember it, hearing it tell me, it isn't your time. It is not your time. Wow. And so after that, I, I kept on living.
0: <laughs> That's pretty profound. So you, in essence, heard the voice of, of God telling or, you it's not your yeah, time?
1: Or, or some sort of being. I wouldn't, I don't know how to categorize it, but I knew it was something. And so later on, I kept on, I didn't. Perform suicide, (laughs) I kept on living, but it's not until when I got to the age of 16, where I told myself, man, I feel really angry. I'm just an angry guy. I I hang out. I, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, taggers and trollos, I was like, okay, I need something to help me. And so I just Googled it. What can help me with my anger issues? And I found out meditation, but this this was in 2000, what, like 2009. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't that much hype, I guess you can say,
0: around so. meditation. Mm-hmm. In your childhood, uh, did you grow up with religion? Did you grow up going to church? Did you have any kind of spiritual practice uh, previous to meditation?
1: So I was real. I, I went to Catholic church, and I was really interested in Jesus. I remember carrying my little kid's Bible all the time and and reading on it, and that was my practice. And that's what sort of stirred up my, me leaning down depression actually, because I remember being a boy and seeing my family dynamic and and seeing all the the fighting and the arguments. I have told myself, okay, maybe I need to be like Jesus. I'm going to absorb all the energy in this house. I remember saying that as a kid. Wow. And it didn't, it wasn't so hot because it was, it led me to, obviously, me doing, trying to do suicide, but I guess it it worked out in a way.
0: Wow. And what was your family's reaction? Did they know that this profound experience happened? Did you keep it to yourself?
1: So I told my mom, so there's six people in my family. I have four, four siblings, then my mom and dad, and then I, so I think I only told two people, my mom and my twin sister, everyone else doesn't know about this. To this day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. First of all, I I just feel, wow, I didn't even know this about you. And I consider you a friend. So I, I know you're laughing, but it's not a laughing matter. And often we cope through difficult situations with laughter. And so I just want to recognize your vulnerability in sharing this because part of me wants to cry right now because oh. I know that's a dark place to be in. And I was in that place in 2017. The fact that you didn't go through with it, I'm so very grateful. So just wanted to say that. And I love you. (laughs) (laughs) you. So thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about that moment when you just went on Google and you found meditation. What happened then? Did you just immediately try the practice? Did you reach out to someone? Can you share with us what happened?
1: It was strictly individual. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I just Googled it and I saw this YouTube video. It was this weird animation, it was really, I don't know. And I listened to it, so I was like, Okay, I'm just gonna practice that. And so, the first time I ever did it, I hated it, but there was something still attractive by it. It was like, Oh, I I like this, but I still hate it. And so, every day, I just practice, and I didn't have guidance, I didn't have any sort of teacher, I just did it by myself. And I started reading into Buddhism, that was, and so it all meshed together at a certain point and that's what happened i wasn't it wasn't ever a teacher and in a way it was more in some aspect it was much more pure that way because there wasn't outer influences so i'm
0: curious when you were 16 did you still consider yourself a catholic and when did the transition or did the transition happen to you becoming a, a buddhist
1: so i i wasn't considering myself christian or a catholic at that time i started becoming more like i i appreciated the eastern teachings i was more interested in it and i guess you can consider it i would consider it more of a fascination than anything until i became a buddhist monk later on and then i was a buddhist but currently and where i'm at Gotcha.
0: Okay. Wow. It's a fascinating story. And so what would you say was the biggest change for you, especially as an angry teenager? When did you start to see noticeable changes within
1: yourself? So there was two things. One, when I started meditating, I also wanted a an external sort of practice to keep me grounded as well. And so that I the practice was I joined the fire cadet program. And so I had the physical side and then I had the internal side and immediately things started changing and shifting. I saw myself being more disciplined. I started to see results in my emotions and then especially right after high school, I guess, I was meditating about eight hours a day. So it only took two years, two, two years of meditation that I really got into. I was excelling through it and wow. Yeah.
0: So wait, eight hours continuous without break.
1: Obviously there's potty breaks. (laughs) Okay. But that's incredible. But it was still like, I would go eat a meal, come back
0: and go back into meditation. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. So what advice would you give to someone who maybe is in a place where we were of just depression or just feeling stuck and Also feeling that resistance of, I don't know if meditation's for me or I'm feeling really restless. And I know for me, when I first started the practice, really dark thoughts would come up. Mm. Those things you want to suppress. What kept you going? What kept you uh, pushing past that resistance?
1: There's several things. I guess I'm more, later on, I was more curious about the shadow work and the shadow side of things. And so I have this weird fascination by it. But for an individual that's going through suffering and depression, and I get it. I totally get that suffering. I think we all obviously go through suffering. We're human. That's part of our life. And if you want to take this upon with practice, love and kindness. Love and kindness practices are essential. A person can be meditating mindfully and, and doing concentration practices, but there's moments where it can be, You're emotionally detoxing a lot and you feel like things have become more overwhelming and that's why you practice love and kindness. It starts to put a band-aid over those phenomenons and eases the transition. And someone that just is going through depression and just anxieties and things of that nature, the only way I can advise you is just to, to be in that loving awareness state as much as you can have. Also the external aspect of it, do things that makes you happy to get rid of things that make you unhappy. I find these things are much more Mm -hmm. simple than it is. I think we complicated in the mind, especially we're we're like, oh, I need to do this. And I think just just go out in nature and and do something that you actually enjoy. So that's how I kind of work with that. Yeah,
0: I agree. And I think it also depends on the level of trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, something that I recognized within myself. Was that I remember back when I was married, there was a lot of stigma around therapy and trying Mm. to get help. And even though I felt like I needed it, the person I was with and just outside circumstance and my friend circle at the time, it was looked down upon like therapist. That means something's wrong with you. And so I never sought out one, even though I could have, I had insurance at the time. Nice. And so fast forward after my divorce and bankruptcy, feeling at the pits of despair, I recognized, okay, I need to get help. And so I didn't eventually see a therapist. I saw a life coach and I worked with a life coach for a year. And so something I just wanted to point out is depending on where you're at, I think it's okay to recognize when you need to ask for help. Meditation mm-hmm. can be a tool, but depending on maybe the trauma, asking for help. So I'd love to get your opinion on that. And did you work with a professional at any time with your depression or were you on medication or anything like that?
1: So I never went on meds or, or I never seeked a professional. I always had this gun ho I want to deal with in myself, which is essentially you're doing that regardless. If you, even if you go to a professional, it's their main thing is to guide you through it and not them influencing you and like you were saying it does depend on the trauma and the severity of it and some things may take longer than others but the essential nature is you're still doing the work and it's and try to encompass that in all aspects whether it's the physical the internal with your friend group all these things encompass your path toward quote-unquote healing but so I think therapy works for sure. I guess my only opinion on therapy as well, to give it a bit of a constructive criticism, is that I noticed that some therapists actually create more stories and and more habits, and they validate things that don't need to be validated in, in terms of an individual story. It's no longer the person is being led to their healing. It's the therapist is now influencing me into this healing, and that can be that can become convoluted, and it can drift you in your path toward healing.
0: Yeah, I agree with you one hundred percent. And it's interesting you bring that up because I there's an account I follow, and she received a lot of negative criticism for sharing her own story within her life because therapists traditionally are not supposed to share their own story they're supposed to be like a clean slate and or an empty slate i should say and they're just observing you however she found that by sharing her own story and giving journal prompts and she had her own awakening she encourages the idea of being a self-healer and so i'm all for that and i agree with what you're saying and i think Just like to your uh, statement before, we're all human. So there's really no such thing as a therapist that can just be a blank slate. We're all going to be influenced one way or another. But I think when it comes to therapy, from my understanding, Mm -hmm. a therapist can really uncover the trauma and bring that to the surface. Whereas with a life coach, which is uh, who I worked with, they're not actually allowed to give you advice or tell you what to do they're just asking you questions. And so you come to conclusions on your own, which I really appreciated. And it really helped me just clear out a lot of the uncertainties in my life. So yeah. Now, when it comes to a meditation coach or teacher, and I know that's something you do, what role do you play in a person's awakening and unfolding?
1: <laughs> this is, that question's a bit, it's funny. I, I, I only find it funny because it's almost ironic. Like I'm really not doing anything because it's the person's own journey. The role that I play though, is there's things that need to be addressed and guided through regardless, like you, no matter what, you're always going to s- start off with some sort of teacher or, or aid until you get the ball rolling and the ball rolling. until you can start doing things on your own. That's the point of a teacher. Yes, you go until you can do things on your own. You don't, that's like, why are you still here? Just meditate on your own now. You're fully, yeah. And so my role in terms of meditation is to guide an individual wherever they are, whether they're step one or step 10 and lead them as far as I have been led, as far as I can take them through. Mm. Because I've noticed that a lot of people that teach, it's almost as if, They have this identity of being this teacher of, of, of like enlightenment. And they're like trying to force that, that, let me guide you through this as, as quickly and possibly as I can. And interesting when when really it's not like that. It's there's so many things going on in, in a person's mind and body. It's very complicated. I think it's, if you're a teacher, you have a great responsibility. You have such a, and healers. You have such a responsibility. You're literally changing a person's life. You're changing a person's life and that can karmically affect you. And so, again, my role is to guide them as much as I can. And that's it. Guide them as where I've gone through, what I've learned, and just pass it down like a lineage, like the Buddhist lineage, like the Christian lineage, it's just this passing down of knowledge.
0: Yeah, I think that's very well said. And that's why it can get really sticky with coaching because especially when you're also making a living, there's this like fine line of, okay, but I want, do I want to retain my clients or how long until they should be okay on their own? So I, I totally hear you. And I agree with you. Even when you parallel it to a fitness coach, I think in a sense, give a person the tools and break the habits so they can eventually use the knowledge and do it on their own don't make them dependent on you that's my mindset so i completely agree with you
1: i see this with any industry it's people want to keep their clients and keep things i don't i want the person to start doing things on their own i'm i shouldn't be an influence a guide is not an influence. A guide is a guide. It influences literally programming your mind to do something. If you're open and willing to learn, that's completely different. So that's how I see things.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. How long, in your opinion, does it take for a person, on average, if they were completely new to meditation and they were to go through coaching with you i know it's a loaded question but how long do you think it would take for someone to get the grasp of it where they can flourish on the on their own or does it vary from person to person
1: it's very individualized it's totally individual because you can have someone that is super brand new doesn't know anything but he's they're just super open and they just get it they're like Mm -hmm. a child and you get the same person who's super open but for some reason its just taking a little bit more work and a little, little bit more effort. It doesn't mean that one is more is, is better than the other in terms of meditation and healing. There's no such thing. They're just lessons to be learned through that guidance. It, it, that's what I, it's what I think is, is ironic is that our sufferings is not so much sufferings as it is learning karmically. They're karmic lessons. The karma is going to continue going around and around until you get it, until you actually understand it. And so if a person's struggling, that's perfectly fine, actually. There is something to learn through it. I've had moments in my life where I had months of, oh, I feel like I'm not progressing. I feel like I'm, I'm not getting further in my practice. But there was a thing there that you have to be able to see and recognize That's actually part of your growth.
0: Yeah. Yeah, spot on. And it's so funny because when you look at coaching programs, oh, in 30 days you'll have this, in 21 days you'll have this, and it feels like with meditation, you can't really make that kind of claim because perhaps that person just needs more time. And just like you said, that's just part of it. And especially, I think, because we live in a society that's results-driven and instant gratification-driven, you want that. And it defeats the whole purpose of spirituality because it's an individual practice that has nothing to do with competition. So it's almost like, ah, and like, how do you even then also promote that and and sell that? So (laughs) I'm curious as a coach, and I know this is something that you do for a living. Do you find that's a struggle? And do you, what is your opinion, I guess, also on, it's a two-part question, on spiritual gurus and coaches out there that do monetize this do you think it's i don't know cheesy or they're not being as authentic
1: right no i I always related back to this when if we were a thousand years ago in like the time of buddha or jesus for a master and a student you as a student you were feeding bathing working for the teacher and then you'll get you you're literally making the good karma and putting your reverence to the master to get the teachings now we just go here's some money to me that's actually a such a, a in a broader scale of things karma has made us so we just need to do something so simple and it will provide for everything so i think it's fine for pete for teachers to monetize it don't get me wrong I just think that an individual needs to be aware of the teacher and aware of the healer or whoever you're seeing, because I believe, I wholeheartedly believe, there's more paths to or there's more things to take you off the path than on the path. It may look like truth, but it can be corrupted with a little bit of lies, and so it just throws you off. And so for me, it's fine. But it's also, as an individual, you have to be discerning enough to know, is this a good master to even give my money to? I think where the state of meditation, and spirituality is going is, is great. I still think it's, there's a lot of ego driven within the community and things that haven't really been explored or people's perspectives being altered and influenced. I don't think it's, and that's, that's my opinion. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's, I may be projecting a little bit, but that's only because of my own experience with being a Buddhist monk and doing various meditation retreats and meeting these teachers and, and Lamas I've seen it and I've done it. And what I see now in the West, it's been corrupted in many ways. And it's sad at times.
0: Yeah, what you're describing is a spiritual trap, in a way, mm-hmm. of just following one teacher, following one person, and just becoming almost putting them on a pedestal. And the way I'm looking at it is maybe even that is part of a person's journey, quote-unquote, falling for that and learning from that, hopefully, and that can be a part of their unfolding and learning perhaps that's just all part of it that's where i'm at is not judging myself not beating myself up and just recognizing that every single stage is just ironically a part of the awakening journey so it's okay and hopefully maybe those gurus will wake up to that as well i don't know we'll we'll see but it's not my place to judge Is (laughs) is yeah, takeaway.
1: <laughs> I, I So I wouldn't say it, obviously we shouldn't be judgmental, but we should be discerning. And that's discerning, one of the yes. fundamental things in all practices is being discerning. Because obviously you're not going to, you're not going to want to like, oh, like you're part of a spiritual community and all of a sudden they're sacrificing goats. So like, oh no, I don't know. I'm being judgmental right now. They're, it's, I'm being judgmental. Yes. They're a part of you, all loving and all, all knowing, like they're a part of you. But I, I personally wouldn't <laughs> would want to be there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a quote right there. Not judgmental, but discerning. That's key. That's key. I think that's an excellent point. And, um, and that only comes from
1: practice because yeah, discernment isn't about ego. Discernment is just with awareness. Awareness has no influence and constructs and programs.
0: Good point. Very good point. And I love that you even pointed out earlier that you may be projecting just even being aware of the fact of what you're saying is just a step closer. And that's something that was so powerful for me. Um, Your co-host of your podcast, Ryan, pointed it out with the evangelism program that runs in so many of us, if not all of us at one point, especially when you're on an awakening path, you want to share it with people like, oh my God, have you not heard? Or when you're in this mode of love and kindness, and you're like, "Oh, let's just all love." So that evangelism program is pretty much in everyone. That's just our human innate human nature. And so he was actually able to label that that was such an aha for me because I just didn't even recognize that as a program. Um, <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? That's huh? It was such a shift for me. It's fascinating.
1: It reminds me of when I was a monk actually, and i I thought this is and this is one of the reasons why I'm not a Buddhist anymore, but I I was just like, oh, Buddhism is number one. Like Buddhism is the highest teachings and everyone is, is just going to recycle on the samsara or the cycle of, <laughs> of uh, rebirth and death. This is the I, correct one. Yeah. And yep. I had to learn the hard way.
0: What woke you up to that program in you? Man,
1: I remember the day that it cut for me. And so I had this wow. real program and this identity program of being a monk. Like I I need to be the Buddha or Jesus and meditating all the time. And then once I got out of being a monk, I still had that. And so it's, it started to ruin relationships actually. And I started noticing myself and this is what happens to everyone in in spirituality, which is they'll start to maybe seclude and be a little bit of nomads. And I'm like, I shouldn't go out there and everything (laughs) material is wrong. And so, it was hard for me to transition back into uh, societal human. <laughs> and over the years, I was just I was, I actually started chasing things. And I started to do the whole human societal roles of I need to chase money, I need to do this, instead of what I felt was right. And I remember the day it was during a, a Buddhist celebration called Vesak Day, which is the day that the Buddha's the Buddha got enlightened, his death and his birth—they're all they're on the same day. Okay. And so, I went to my temple, and the celebration is beautiful because all sects of Buddhists, all sects of Buddhism, go come together, do their chanting. It's just awesome. And I was volunteering. I was holding up a flag, and I was hearing these chants. And then it started, I started seeing images pop up. I was like, I, man, I, I was like them before. And I started crying and I was like, what's wrong with me? Like all I wanted was to pursue this. And I feel like this isn't that the path. And all of a sudden I just felt this thing just cut and released. Wow. And I just started crying and I was like, I'm no longer a Buddhist. I don't know what that means anymore. And so later that week processing it, I understood how the identity could, that even having that spiritual identity is bad. That spiritual greed was bad. Oh, I wanted enlightenment. I wanted to have psychic powers. I was going to sacrifice anything. Not literally, but just like I would. I was willing to remove relationships. I was willing to remove love and kindness. That That's a whole nother conversation that we can get into, but I really had this identity of being a Buddhist monk that never left until probably four years after, and it completely changed me. So it was nice to have that lifted for me.
0: (laughs) I guess you mentioned earlier, you're nothing now. What does that mean?
1: I find that labels, let's think about this. What is a label? A label is an identity it's based on conditions, Mm -hmm. I'm this, which can imply that you're separate from another individual. And we can see it today with politics. Politics is such a great example. I'm a Democrat, you're a Republican. And it really doesn't have any validation to it in terms of spirituality, it doesn't. Because I've met spiritual Buddhists that were conservatives and liberals, Buddhism doesn't hold on to to this idea that you have to be one side or another. But having a label can sometimes be so limiting to an individual and they don't even realize it. How much influence that does into a person's life. Again, going back to the example of Democrats and Republicans. Let's say you don't even know a person and you start talking to them and you're really experiencing who they are. All of a sudden, they say, oh yeah, I'm a Republican. Mm-hmm. all of a sudden this person takes that information puts it in their mind compartmentalizes it and puts you in the label of conservative bad you right. no longer see that person for who they are you're seeing that for that image you have in that projection mm-hmm. and so this is the problem with having labels and identities and so once you get into practice you'll start to understand how these things really aren't—they're—they're they're meaningless. Yes, they're necessary in terms of societal structures, but it, to me, they're really nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Like when I meditate, I'm not meditating because I'm a Buddhist or spiritual. I'm just meditating. Like in, in terms of God and awareness and consciousness, it's everything. It's there's no there's no limitation behind it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's what it means to me.
0: I have an interesting theory, and I would love your feedback on this, because prior to maybe a year and a year ago or so, I wasn't even a very political person. I didn't even really have an opinion on politics. I would not have labeled myself conservative, liberal, re- Republican, none of that. I really didn't care. And I, I could say a lot of people felt the same. But we now live in a climate where it's just unavoidable because it's just been pushed in our faces. Mm -hmm. And then you tie in the whole, the race, the pandemic, what we see on TV, every five minutes, there's an explosive headline, things are happening. It's just become a part of people's identity. I haven't been on dating apps, but I hear that's part of dating apps now, what your political (laughs) affiliation is or whether or not you're wearing a mask or not. So it's just become... Such a huge part of our standard of living, it's become unavoidable. Mm. And so, I I guess I don't know if I even have a question. I'm just thinking out loud, but I wonder: is there an mo behind this? Why did this sudden shift? Is there karma behind it? I don't know. Why did this sudden shift happen in our society, where for such a long time, politics was always there in the background, but now it's just become so incredibly amplified that it's, it's unavoidable. So mm. even if you try to not identify with it as a spiritual person or whatever, it's almost like this whole idea of, especially with the race issue, oh, if you're silent, you're also bad. So it's like you're forced to pick sides. What is your opinion on all of that?
1: First off, even though I find this meaningless, I'm Mexican. I also understand a certain aspect of this because there's pressure on Latinos to be a certain way and and, in America specifically, I, I find this more of an American issue. So when I was 19, I was actually at Occupy, I was doing Occupy in LA, camping out and protesting. And I started at that time, I didn't really recognize it, but I think that's what started it, to be honest. And this, again, this is, my opinion. I don't don't know how true it is, but I remember there wasn't anything such as identity politics or politics in general, but just the fact that this started this whole movement Mm -hmm. and it brought so much media attention that I think there was outer influences that infiltrated it, that, that made it their own thing. And from there... I think their influences grew with technology, as we can see it with Twitter and with Instagram. I just see it. There's so much influence in technology now, you can't get past it. So then people absorb this. Just looking at this black screen, you can just absorb anything without, it's such a unconscious thing. It's almost like when you decide to drive and while driving, you get to your destination, you even know like the in-between. Now imagine that you're always constantly on your phone and you miss so much information actually while driving. Now your phone, you miss so much information, but you're just so much influence and program. And so I think this drove this sort of societal idea that everyone needs to be political. There was influence in it. And the last thing would be a lot of these things like Twitter and Facebook and news media, they thrive on conflict. Now they get more, they have algorithms specifically for that. And what does that do for an individual? It makes them like feeling like they need to thrive on that as well. Sure. And it's such a different life from meditating. <laughs> and so I, I, it's interesting. Cause I, I say to people, I don't need to watch the news. People are the news. They tell me because they just love to, to tell me it.
0: Yeah, I guess love and kindness doesn't sell. (laughs) Is that it? (laughs) Like Twitter doesn't want to promote love and kindness because that doesn't get enough clicks.
1: It sucks. I
0: I wonder if it's something in our scientific makeup and our brains that just gets a spike when something negative happens versus something positive.
1: I don't know. It goes back to, okay, I remember bad things much easily than good things. It just goes back into that. and it's a good point. So it's just this this driving narrative. But I do think the spiritual aspect of this is there is karma that needs to be played out. And secondly, if you meditate now and if you actually practice properly, you would see great results now, I think, than previously.
0: Something I want to bring up is your time with a master that you worked with. So I want to shift the conversation a little Mm -hmm. bit. When did you meet master John Douglas and how did you get introduced to him? And where was that on your path of awakening?
1: (laughs) So I was introduced by him by my, my friend, her name was Peach. And we, she told, she had lupus at this, lupus and Lyme disease at this time. And I remember she told us she was healed and she was healed from it. And I was like, what the heck? And I was really strict at this time. And and I'm still strict, but I was really strict when it comes to teachers and healers. And so when she came up to Ryan and and my other friend, Bruce saying, oh yeah, I was healed. Or just, who is this guy? I've got to be careful. Like, who is this? And so we went to an event and I sat through the event and you have a one-on-one healing session with them. And this was back in what, 2014 or 13? He doesn't have one-on-ones anymore, but I went to... I went to have a one-on-one with him and for the healing. And he's like, oh, yeah, so tell me what's going on with you. Like, and I told him, yeah, I have this heart issue in this throat. Like I, I get like this choking sensation. I don't know how much of it is anxiety. I feel like there's an actual thing in it, but it also is this hard thing. There's like constriction. And so he starts to scan me he's, and he looks at me and he says, your parents didn't teach you how to love you or love people. Wow, just and like I, that. Yeah, and I was like, I I knew I knew he was right. I knew he was right, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he was he probably knew I was being like that anyways, but he was like, yeah. So you have this heart. The heart issue is a part of that that your parents didn't teach you, and you have a lot of emotional energy in there and emotional thought forms. So we're gonna clear that up. And for the next two weeks, you're probably going to be thinking a lot of weird, maybe bad things. And it's just part of the process. So just let it happen. The second thing was, he said, okay, another thing about that is you have spiritual greed. And I was like, spiritual greed? What the hell is that? I've never heard of that. And I don't think a lot of people know, but you can have spiritual greed. Just like the same way you can have greediness for, in society, you can sell greediness with spiritual knowledge like oh i i I deserve i'm going to chase the the idea of psychic abilities it's the same thing and so he was like yeah so you want to be a practitioner and you want to fulfill this life but you have this it's going to deter you so much and especially it coincides with your love and kindness like you you haven't practiced love and kindness you have this blockage because you even know how to love a person, so we need to do a lot of love and ki- like love and kindness work for you. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. And so after the healing, the next two weeks, I was crying every single day. Okay, and before this, Ryan will tell you. I, I, When he would come to hug me, I'd be like, "I'm good, bro. I don't want to." Then after that, it just started shifting. Like I I started to really understand what that love and kindness was. So then I was like, "Oh, I'm really interested in this." So several years later, I took his course, and I wouldn't say that we're healers because we're not. We're obviously we're more facilitating healing. By these beings so if you want to get a little bit more esoteric behind it the the healing is performed by bodhisattvas and angelic beings and
0: so wait pause what's the difference between the two
1: bodhisattva is is a person in the buddhist tradition mahayana tradition specifically who goes into the practice and right before enlightenment chooses to stay in reincarnation to come back to help human beings become enlightened an angelic being. There's certain, I think there's good arguments behind this, where some people may say bodhisattvas are actually angels in, in that way, but I think angelic beings are just, they have their position in, in their sphere, wherever they are. Like they're multidimensional beings you can think of. And so I, they're not human. They're just not human, but they're not aliens, too. I need to specifically say that. No alien. They're they're, they're just angels. I
0: I got that differentiation from Dr. Greer, so I didn't recognize there was a difference between the two, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah,
1: and so the angelic beings and the bodhisattvas help with facilitating the healing, and and it's not ever the individual. No healing is the individual. That's a dark path if if you think you're the healer. Right.
0: Because that's another spiritual identity and ego thinking it's you. Got it. When that happens, and I'm assuming then the master John Douglas, same thing. He's a master vessel in essence.
1: So I I would say the master John is different because he's he is the vessel regardless, but he also brought the teachings and he brought this lineage. So it makes him a little bit more special just like with buddha and and jesus they brought this teaching and it makes them a little bit more special because they are the teacher and that's that's an important thing is that reference to them
0: when this happens is there you don't have to go into full detail i'm just trying to get the gist of it Mm -hmm. is there some kind of ritual that happens is it on command like can he just scan you and it just boom these angelic beings just appear i'm just curious how, how does it work
1: i think it depends on The level of the individual and and where they're at, but there's no ritual. There's just literally just, oh, you have influenza. Okay, come in. Let's see. Let's scan it. Okay, you don't have influenza. You have you have something else. You may have what another condition. It can be sarcoidosis or something like that. And just bam, just kill it, detox it. That's it. And so it's very simple. Like they're they're. It should be simple. It shouldn't be this long process of, you know, so I, and it's through, again, it's through them that allow the healing. And sometimes it takes longer than others because again, going back to, there may be certain lessons, certain karmas, certain things, and I understand they're suffering and that's the hard part of things because sometimes healing that can't be performed is one that it's. Because I've done it before. Like when I've tried to work on people, there's even guide people, you're going to have those times where they're not going to get the healing right away or they're not going to get it the meditation right away. And that's just, that's the part of it.
0: I imagine a person, I'm just curious, would a person need to be open to receiving the healing? Is there a part of belief or faith involved at all? Or does the healing work regardless?
1: I think... Faith is an important skill to have. It's There is a a thing with faith that leads to enlightenment. But I've seen people that have no faith, and you would think subjectively, oh, they don't have the the good karma. They do get the healing. Why? Because you can't see exactly what's going on in the background. You can't see why it was necessary for this person to get the healing. Same thing with this. A lot of people may be spiritual, but... That leads to separation because you think, oh, this person is, is leading a lifestyle that is, is going against spirituality. But really, if you had the discernment, they may be living their highest divine life path for this time. Yeah. For whatever reason, I've seen it go both ways.
0: It's a good point. Also, perhaps that healing was part of their awakening and that is what turns them into, lack of better words, a believer or person that will then follow that path. So mm-hmm. I guess you just never know. It just goes back to, you, you really can't judge it. You don't know.
1: Because I've, I've seen even, like, they, a person get a healing and they're still doubting. <laughs> it's so funny. It's, oh, I have I have this neck problem, but it feels nice, but he, it's probably, like, something else. And it's it's not real. And it's needed to be done for whatever reason. And it's... Wow
0: amazing does he still do these healings or
1: what he does now he doesn't do one-on-ones but he still does healings it's sometimes that he does in a group session but today because of covid it's, it's a little different now
0: gotcha Wow. I definitely want to hear more because I have <laughs> epilepsy and uh, I'm trying to get off of this medication right. on 17 years. So I'm actually trying to wean myself off of it, but that's a whole nother conversation, but right. uh, it's fascinating. So something I want to talk to you about, and I have <laughs> my favorite crystal right here. For those of you watching on YouTube can see it. I just, I, I need to talk about this. So you blessed <laughs> my crystals when I was in California and I just, I need to hear about how you did this. How does it work? the floor is yours
1: (laughs) (laughs) so like what i said before every you have all these traditions right and whether it's christianity or buddhism or or islam they have their own specific deities behind them and so whatever lineage you get connected to these beings are helping you but people don't know that even with crystals, there's devas. So devas is just a as a Sanskrit word for angelic being. They're the, these devas, angelic beings, are in the crystals. And people don't know this is why they work. Like, it's not just a rock. And I think many people don't understand the complexities behind these things. I think spirituality in general is very complex. But there's angelic beings in the mineral kingdom, in the plant kingdom, and all these almost specific institutions there's angelic beings behind it and this is the reason why they work so if someone doesn't believe in a herb for example they ingest it it will come down to their stomach but the energy and the prana and the and the chi of it will dissipate it won't even affect them because they don't believe in it there's like you don't deserve it you why would you even buy it if you don't believe in it and so it's the same thing with crystals you have an angelic being, and most of the time, people misuse crystals. It's, okay, I'm putting my energy into this, or they want the the, the crystal to absorb negative energy. You have to be discerning enough to understand, what if the Deva and the crystal doesn't want to do that? What, is, what if the Deva is meant for something else? Yeah, like in terms of rose quartz it's more of a loving crystal it's supposed to help you with this but not all crystals are programmed with a good deva or a good angelic being
0: so wait quick question do all crystals you're saying all crystals automatically have a deva in them
1: no not all crystals
0: okay So so how did the deva even get into the crystal can you explain that
1: um the only way I can explain it is that they were just programmed into, so the, like the way things are in terms of 3D reality, mm-hmm. the way esoterically things work, it's much more mathematical. It's okay. This We need you to come down to this specific crystal. And for whatever reason, it's more thought out than anything. So the devas are there because that's what they're meant to do.
0: And so when somebody feels drawn to a specific crystal, it could be because of the deva that's already in it? Or do some Mm -hmm. crystals not have a deva in it? If you go to a crystal (laughs) shop, is it safe to assume that every single crystal in that shop has an individual deva in it?
1: No. No. It's not. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes they're just a rock.
0: So how do you know if there's a deva in it or not?
1: Uh, See, that's the hard part. I think this goes back into practice. The reason why you they were used spiritually is because there was a, like a crystal master. And so there's a practice behind it. And so you, they would know how to use it, what, which crystal to use. And so you have to be able to be discerning enough and by your own practice, telepathic abilities, or just energetic practices where you can feel it out, But when I say feel it out, it doesn't mean emotional feeling. Uh, And not using logic, it's that awareness, and awareness goes beyond that. Now, if you can see it, then that's wholly different.
0: Would you say that's more like an intuition?
1: Yeah, intuition, you can say intuition as well, yes.
0: Gotcha. And so when you blessed my crystals, did you, in essence, become a vessel so that a deva would go into a crystal?
1: So when I had scanned it, I was scanning if there was even... Anything in there? Yes. Got it. Because... Uh, a lot of these again don't have any and seeing if they were good because in the Buddhist tradition and in the Hindus we believe that there are zeros are not good angelic beings or some of them aren't I don't want to say all of them but and they can be programmed into the crystal just automatically for whatever reason and so we want to make sure that there's a good deva in it the other thing is we don't want to mix match with crystals we don't want to like a lot of people when they make crystal grids Uh they it may look nice but it can actually uh, be more problematic because certain crystals don't like to be next to each other it's like growing a plant like certain plants can't be grown next to each other the other thing is i i know this one story where this woman made a crystal grid on her first floor of her building she made it crystal grid on her desk on the top floor or the, the two yeah the second story floor directly above where she made the crystal grid was her bed and so during that night she was sleeping and she was like getting she felt really off when she woke up she got really sick and so she was like what's going on with me every day she just started getting sick more and more then afterwards she went to to see john and she was like, John, I don't know why I keep getting sick. He scanned and was like, do you have crystals? She was like, yeah. Get rid of your crystal grid. Like, absolutely stop. You need to stop right now. Wow. The, the crystals, that formation, they, they they actually don't like it. And you're not understanding them. And so. Are there good crystal grids? Yeah, but again, it takes a lot of- practice to be able to know how to design it and, and do it. And so when I was doing, again, going back to your question, I was just seeing if, if there was good, if they were good, if they were even if there was any devas and lastly, if the energy of the crystal was even good, was it dirty, was there any sort of negative attributes, negative thought forms? if there was a uh, negative anything basically just because there's all these things tied behind it
0: is there a way to cleanse your crystal because like from what i've been reading up people talk about sage and palo mm-hmm. santo and moon water is that just all superstition is there any truth to that
1: no there's truth behind it but to you can cleanse you, you okay so you can cleanse a, a crystal like that but if it has a negative deva in it that's not <laughs> enough <laughs> it's in there yeah <laughs> i mean i i was trying to make an analogy for it but <laughs> I I
0: really... probably looking at you with this sage yeah that's cute yeah <laughs> <laughs> i could just see a crystal meme of a little Dava looking at you with your sage <laughs> like,
1: yeah that's real cute it, it's like someone that that like they look good in the outside. Like he looks like a good in pr- the inside. No, they're dirty.
0: <laughs> that's that's hilarious. So I guess what is your advice for those listening that love crystals like myself? I probably have close to 50 crystals in my apartment. They're up here. I'm wearing crystals. Like I right. love crystals. I respect, I respect the crystals. I have a crystal Oracle deck. I just, I love it. It's part of my moon vibe box, all of that. So what advice would you give to those that are into crystals so should they cleanse them first should they what should they do if they don't have your skill set of being able to scan them
1: i think is if you really want to communicate with the crystals is is talking is to communicate with the crystal kingdom the crystal hierarchy and so there is an angelic being who is at the top of the crystal hierarchy and if you want to connect with that being go for it and they'll lead you on to the understanding how to communicate better to the crystals second thing is for people that don't want to do that again just practice your your intuition and and understanding that okay be more discerning on which crystal to pick and also be open to the fact that there are there are ones that aren't good that's just a fact like if if you're growing a farm you're going to have weeds and that's they destroy other plants and that's natural and the other thing is Practicing, uh, yeah, my everything will always lead back to practicing meditation. But getting in contact with that crystal, the the crystal hierarchy is important.
0: How I do you get in contact?
1: The way, the only way I can describe it is with the information provided right now. With the intention of before your practice, or even with with the prayer of your masters, your angels, and and the and the angel of the crystals. May I be presented with the knowledge of understanding you through this practice of meditation or having ha- leading through that prayer or leading through that intention when choosing and, and doing all that's much more safer than you just emotionally taking any crystal actually invoke those, your own spirit guides and your own masters and, and that crystal and crystal angel before you go and embark in these things. And also, like where you place your crystals too. People like to place it here and place it there. Make, really do the same thing as I was telling before. Get in say that prayer, use your intuition, and make sure that they want to be there. Okay? That's, okay. And that's important. <laughs>
0: okay. I will, the, I will the, do that.
1: Because <laughs> that's part of feng shui. And right. The, the other thing about these things in general, I'm speaking about general now. Things are much more complicated than what's been even provided for people to see. Like when feng shui, we say, oh, we need to move these objects and things need to be in order. But people don't know that it's not just that. That's such a physical thing. There's actual energy behind it. There's a a foundation has meridians. It has chakras in it. There's an actual energy system within the foundation of a land. But we're just simply seeing it as oh let's place it let's place the object here and put a photo there.
0: Yeah, there's levels to it. It's just so much and I'm I'm learning a ton. So I appreciate you you sharing that. I'm definitely gonna go into my next meditation with that intention to to get in contact with the crystal hierarchy. So I I knew a little bit, but I didn't know that much. So I appreciate you sharing. (laughs) That's amazing. So I would love to, I always ask every single guest this, it has actually refined my own morning routine. And so can you share with us what your typical morning looks like? I imagine it includes meditation. Yeah. Can you share that with
1: us? It's circumstantial. Like recently, what I do is I get up, make some tea, I come back, check my stocks, <laughs> then I meditate. <laughs> That's my routine. I don't like to make things look complicated. Yeah, there's meditation, but I like to keep things simple.
0: Hey, simple as best. I think that's the common denominator I've been getting, uh, as long as you're consistent with it. And that's how it turns into a, a habit, which I think is pretty neat. Awesome. I think it's been amazing having you on the show. I know we we touched on so many different points. Another thing I want to briefly talk about before we we end the episode is your passion for fire. And I think it's cool <laughs> that you have one of the earth elements. And can you share with us what got you into that? And I know you do this on in the summer, during the summer months.
1: So when I was like, I was saying before, in the beginning, when I was 16, I joined the cadet program and this is for municipal fire department, but I don't know. I don't know if the listeners know, there's two types of firefighting. You have wildland firefighting and municipal firefighting municipal just works on mainly in houses and and apartment and structures. Wildland just strictly does wildland in the forest and, and the brush. So, When I was in the cadet program, I was just doing municipal. Then I left it because I wanted to be a monk. (laughs) I came back and I would always look at these ambulances and and fire trucks and I'm like, I want to go back. So I did. And I joined this uh, class where they were teaching wildland firefighting. And there was a program where you can actually, if you get a good grade and if they like you, you actually can be part of the crew. So I did it and I was a part of the crew. Currently, I'm the crew leader for this now, for this particular crew, so I tell them what to do. <laughs> I tell them, and I, I, it's not only just that, there's a lot of c- complexities behind it, but I have to make sure they're, they're doing fine, I have to just make sure everything's safe, and there's, it's much more stressful than that. <laughs> just, I can imagine. But yeah. I, there's, God, there's I'm so lucky to have this job because it's only in summer, I could go into nature. I get to see places that normal civilians wouldn't see. I'm just in, in, in earth, like I'm just there in nature. I just love it. And fire is fun too. There, there may be, some people may find fire scary and I understand that. But for some reason, I'm just, I think I'm, I'm dumb and, and I just like when there's a fire in front of me and we're just like, let's get this, let's, let's, let's knock it down. Are uh,
0: forest fires necessary?
1: so there, like with people maybe in the major cities or people in in and more
0: like when we heard about australia being on fire right you know that's
1: so, pretty okay. devastating
0: was that actually devastating or is that just that's just what happens
1: so i i don't think many people understand how necessary fire fires are for nature there's specific plants that need to and trees that grow during fires, for example, the sequoias in California. There's actual insects that mate and lay their eggs huh. at once the fire has ran through an area. Just for some reason, that's just what they do. There's specific things that happen during fires. The other thing it does is, and now, it cleanses the land. The Native Americans were wow. so they would do prescribed burns to cleanse the area, and it it would burn. All the dead material, the, te- the the dead brush or the sticks and the leaves on the ground, so it wouldn't be as intense for the next season. The fire, but there's political things happening today with that. But yeah, the fires are so necessary for the environment, and we complain that oh the these oh there's a smoke there's smoke, but it's actually necessary.
0: Interesting. I'm glad that you explained that since you are an expert in that arena. So I just wanted to touch on that. So I appreciate you, you sharing. Well, I always like to end every episode with the guests sharing their words of wisdom and just things that they want to live, uh, leave our audience with. So what would you say has really kept you on the path? What would you like to leave, leave us with?
1: What continued, what me continue on the path is effort and effort isn't forceful. Mm effort should be gentle and loving so just be very gentle and loving for yourself because we we put too much pressure on ourselves and society influences that really the path is about love and really understanding the unconditional side of it so have effort and have love
0: i love that it's beautiful (laughs) it's so beautiful I have, I have one last quick question. How do you love yourself?
1: Oh man, there's, I feel like there's so many, funny enough. I even feel like when just me in the middle of this interview, even me saying I'm projecting, that was a sign of my love. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm putting this out there so people know, because I, I love people and I love myself for understanding that this is not, I don't know. Just in every sort of aspect now that I see with practice is love, even the negative. That And that's something that people don't want to or are scared maybe to understand that you have to love even the shadow side, the side that you may not want to see is the side that may be pushed down, and so I think that's how I love myself, even in those times where it may be frustrating or angry and things of that nature still that that means you deserve it even more that side deserves it even more,
0: yeah can't skip the shadow work
1: (laughs) it's true big true
0: and now i have one more follow-up question yeah yeah, yeah. how do you or how did you start your shadow work or do you have a book you could recommend or just what kind of tool if somebody's you know what i'm going to integrate i'm going to meditate i'm going to do it i know i have some stuff i need to work through how do you even start on that journey
1: or what did you do The reason why I even started meditating was because of trauma and anger. And so I felt like for a long time, I was doing nothing but shadow work.
0: Mm.
1: And at a certain point, I realized it became an identity as well.
0: Interesting.
1: Because your healing is really never going to end if you have that idea. Healing is not a destination. Healing is this acceptance that and a loving acceptance and that's it. It's just, yes, this is it. And I, and I appreciate it. And, and it sounds off. I understand. But what I've learned through, even the when when I try to do suicide, there's things there that I couldn't understand. And that being such a young age I, I just didn't know and so this healing identity became the motivation but then became a burden because I thought like when is this when am I ever gonna be healed everyone wants to be healed but what it gives you it gives you the merit to give to to get that healing right away You know, there, sometimes there needs to be effort. Sometimes there needs to be struggle, just like anyone. Everyone struggles at one point or or another. So when I first started doing shadow work, it was, that's why I even started. Later on, I I just let that identity grow. Like, I don't believe the path is shadow work. Enlightenment is not shadow work. That may be a byproduct of it, Mm -hmm. but really the practice is awareness and awareness will perform the actual shadow work for you.
0: It's another step on the on the path. And mm-hmm. I love what you said. Uh, healing is not a destination. It's loving acceptance. <laughs> that's, that's a quote. That's a Ricardo quote right there. Seriously, it's beautiful. And I think that's very true. Very often we can get Wrapped up in wherever we are in the spiritual path, whether it's an evangelism program, whether it's, oh, now I'm on my healing journey, whether it's now I'm a yoga teacher, whether it's now I'm into crystals, whatever we're into, it's so important to stay aware. So we're not trapped in that and we're continuously evolving. So,
1: yeah, I even tell my crew members, like, look, I may be a crew leader, but I want you guys to know that this isn't me. Like that, I'm. I'm gonna have to put up a different mask. I have to be a little bit more strict and and stern. That doesn't mean this is me. What is me? And that's what we all want to know: is what is me. But we miss so much with the with wanting it because you may not want to see things that are you. And so it's good to have this objective view of things and and be open and honest and know that no matter what, I don't. Don't ever solidify your identity because mm. that's meditation isn't like that. Meditation doesn't solidify. so Meditation is chaotic. Yeah. Meditation is all over the place. Nature is like that. We see it. But for some reason, there is a, there is some sort of, there is a, a peace in it.
0: Yeah. There is a peace, P-I-E-C-E and peace, P-E-A-C-E. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> There is, because when you first said it, that's how I... And then I was like, oh, wait, there's... I just want to leave us with this final thought. I think what happens, and it goes back to shame, very low frequency, is that often I think we're afraid maybe to change our minds in a public way because Mm. what will people think of us? Mm. I am a Democrat. I am a Republican. I'm a conservative. I'm whatever. Fill in the blanks. So now if I change my mind... And now I want to be all about whatever, or I have no identity, or I'm no longer a monk, whatever. I've changed my mind. What will people say? What will people think? There's a lot of maybe critique or shame around that. And then people just feel like they're stuck. Mm-hmm. Or they went to school to be an attorney and they followed this trajectory. And I invested all this money in going to medical school or whatever it may be. So now I'm stuck with this. Well, this is who I am now. It's like, how can I just leave all of that and pursue my passion? right or you're pushing 40 how are you still trying to be a singer and follow your dreams you're not being realistic or for you what you're in, you're a firefighter and you want to be a in meditation you know what i mean so there's so many i think outside people and i think the moment we stop caring about what other people think we are free we are just free because it just it doesn't matter anymore and i think that's very liberating
1: and and what is that what is that freedom how do you even what, what is it? It's like the external, like you were saying, societal or these things that are coming into you, but then you solidify within that. And so when you watch, when you actually practice meditation, you not only watch the mind, but you watch the reactions of the mind. I think that's that's the second step. The way I teach is the first step is, okay, you're noticing everything's chaotic and monkey mind. Second step is you're now starting to separate yourself between the mind and awareness. And so now you're noticing how the mind reacts. Oh, my mind's reacting in this way. And, and that's almost somewhat mindfulness, some would call it. Then the last step is, who is that person observing now? What is that? Who is, what is the observer even? It, what, what is that? <laughs> so that's where you go beyond it. It's observing the observer and understanding that.
0: Boop, boop, boop yeah absolutely so true i appreciate you so very much i know we can talk for hours and hours and i'm sure i'm going to have you on the show again in the future but before we sign off i just want to let everybody know where they can get in touch with you i know you're on instagram at the millennial monk very cool handle so i put that up on the screen <laughs> for those watching on youtube and then also i just wanted to briefly promote your segment on the after awakening podcast featuring ryan burton and that's the r&r segment do you want to talk about that a little bit and just what kind of topics you guys cover
1: yeah so i'm pretty everyone probably knows who ryan is if you don't he's he was a fellow monk with me we're best friends and we created this this or he created this podcast called after awakening podcast and in it we'll have a segment with him and i just discussing various topics about spirituality esoteric things and psychic stuff and really just exploring what that is and and our favorite topic, non-duality. I freaking love that. But yeah, just it's a whole array of things that what well, we've learned over the years with our practice, things of that nature.
0: Yeah, everybody definitely go check that out. I remember when I first uh, got introduced to you guys, I used to watch your lives on Instagram back when the lockdown first happened. And I just learned so much from you guys. You would talk about like psychedelics and mantras and meditation. And I was just like, just absorbing it all you guys have a great vibe it's like you finish each other's sentences it's almost like you're not even interviewing one another it's just this continuous dialogue so it's really beautiful so
1: (laughs) thank you i appreciate it
0: cool i appreciate you thank you for coming on and uh yeah everybody till next time thanks guys Thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear your feedback and thoughts on the show as well as any topics you would like for me to cover on solo episodes. Please just book a time with me using calendly.com/vibequeen/let's vibe and we can hop on a phone call. I can get to know you and connect directly. I look forward to hearing from you and until next time.